Hey family, I'm Coach Steph. And I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven-week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. Let's jump in. Hey family, you are here, we are here, and we are so <laughs> happy you're with us. We have Dr. Angela and our guest, Dr. Stillwell, here today. What are you guys up to today? Yeah. Dr. Stillwell, I'll let you go first. Well, here in central Kentucky, it is a beautiful spring day in January. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like 60 degrees and sunny. What I do every day, Monday through Thursday, is do therapy sessions by Zoom. Fridays and Saturdays, I'm in my office. So that's what I'm doing is kind of pacing myself and seeing clients. And I reserved some time for you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank, thank you. I'm here in Austin, Texas today. And I'm actually speaking tonight to a group of college students at Hill House which is like on the UT campus, near the UT campus, something like that. So I'm really excited to go talk with them tonight. And I've been prepping for that this morning. Steph, what are you up to? It's funny that Dr. Stillwell said it's nice and sunny in, in Kentucky because it's cold and windy in New Mexico. So I'm sitting here with a nice cup of warm coffee and hunkered down in my closet, actually, because my husband worked from <laughs> home, too. I had to sneak in here to get a little bit of quiet. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to everybody who's listening to us. I hope wherever you are today, whether it's Kentucky, New Mexico, Austin, Texas, or somewhere else, I hope that you're feeling good about your day. I feel like this is a good choice for your day to be listening to the Reverend Dr. Stillwell. I want to tell you a little bit about him, you know, but before I give like a formal introduction, I think it's important to say how I know you. Yeah. And the guest we have on our show today has known me since I was a little kid, right? For over 30 years. I mean, Dr. Stillwell, I think we met under interesting circumstances. You've led divorce recovery groups for many years. And we're going to talk extensively about that today. After my parents got divorced, you were leading the group that my mom took me to. Is that, did I get that right? Or is there more to the story? That, that is, that is really close to true. Uh, my <laughs> first, my <laughs> I don't, my, I can't remember because it was so long ago. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you weren't, you were younger than I thought, I guess. So my first workshop was in September of 1993. So it happened third, a little over 30 years ago, my first workshop. So whenever it was that your folks got a divorce, probably that was the semester that we met. And eventually you became an intern in the program and helped us lead the children's part. Right. Yeah, I did. You know what? I don't know how it's possible, but I did forget that until you just said that, that I actually then helped. I remember for me that divorce recovery was so impactful. Great. It was incredibly helpful for me to get out my feelings, to talk through what was happening, to make sense of it in my family's home. I really, it's a credit to my mom that she, you know, helped me to get the help yep. that I needed. And then it's a credit to you that you do this work and have done this work for so many years. Thank you. <clears throat> yay, so, mom. Yes, yay, mom. And yay, Dr. Stobel. Okay, so your his formal bio is very important. I want you to know a little bit about him, both personally and vocationally. The Reverend Dr. James Stilwell grew up in Tennessee in the 1960s and 70s as the oldest of three boys. Dr. Stilwell majored in religion and minored in music in college, going on to get two master's degrees, a doctorate, and counseling training through the American Association of Pastoral Counselors and the Kentucky Consortium of Pastoral Counselors. Dr. Stilwell has served churches in Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Texas, and Michigan as Minister of Youth, Minister of Education, Minister of Music, Minister of Single Adults, and in, as an intentional interim pastor. Dr. Stilwell is a licensed pastoral counselor working with couples, individuals, and families. Dr. Stilwell's doctoral thesis was on helping young adults ages like 18 to 40 who are children divorce. 
The Reverend Dr. Stilwell has led divorce recovery workshops each semester, except for a brief period during the height of the COVID pandemic since fall of 1993. The Reverend Dr. Stilwell has been married to Vivian Harrison Stilwell for 43 years and counting, and they enjoy going to concerts, retreating in the mountains, and celebrating Easter and Thanksgiving with their four children and three grandchildren. Dr. and Mrs. Stilwell tied their time by caring for five units of missionaries for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Reverend Dr. Stilwell, welcome to the Grief Sisters podcast. You described my life. It's like I see my life passing before my eyes. <laughs> you've lived a lot of life. You've ministered to a lot of people. You've had a lot of different titles. And we're honored that you're with us to share your knowledge, your wisdom. You've lived in multiple states. So my first question is, where do you call home and why? Well, I have to call Kentucky home in the sense that I've lived here for 30 and a half years. And, you know, this is where we have done the most living and raised four children and three grandchildren. So there's balancing that between the home state thing where my roots are in Tennessee. And whenever I go back to Tennessee, I have a flood of memories of my roots. So, you know, there's two different senses of home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I find that in my classes when I ask people this question, like the people participating, you know, where do you call home and why? People have all kinds of answers from, I don't know that I find, feel at home anywhere even if I have a house, to I felt I feel most at home at this camp that I went to growing up or at my grandma's house or, you know what I mean? And yeah. so home can be a, a very, like the question of home, I think, can be a powerful way of kind of understanding what, who someone is. And I think it makes a lot of sense that you would say there, there's both like the place of home, like where you've lived for many years, and also the roots, like the place that, that nurtured you as you grew up. That's it. Mm. Well, you guys, you guys have both trumped me because I mostly lived in New Mexico my whole life. I <laughs> lived here until I was two and then moved to Kentucky when my parents were married. And Angela and I, of course, share the same dad. And then I moved back here when, when my parents divorced at the age of seven. Before Angela's divorce with her parents, <laughs> I, I had, had to endure mine. And so Angela and I actually have a lot in common. Angela said, you know, in your bio, Dr. Stilwell, that you've been married for 43 years, which I commend you. That's absolutely amazing. And that I've been married for almost 22 years, although it is my second wow. marriage. And mm -hmm. I feel really proud of that as well. Oftentimes when people hear that you've been married that long, they ask you, and so I'm going to ask you, what have you learned over the years? And I know you have a couple of, of grandkids, which I do too. So what's your favorite thing about being well, a grandparent as well? Oh my gosh. Uh, so a couple of things. First of all, I can't think about the, what I've learned from 43 years without thinking about what I'm learning right now in this stage of my life. I'm learning to listen to my wife. I'm learning that she knows things. I mean, this is crazy that it takes this long to figure that out. I'm finding this relationship to be a a safe container for doing my own work from my own family of origin. That's yeah. really a mouthful right there. I think about my relationship with my wife and her extended family. And I think of that verse, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is opening a treasure box with, whoa, Treasures old and new. And, and I, I just kind of have to catch my breath there as I think about yeah. uh, what a treasure my wife's family has been to me. You know, mm -hmm. coming out of a divorce family, even though I've got strong roots in that, I feel kind of like Paul was, Paul was saying in the Bible about being grafted into the vine. And so having, having this adopted family of my wife's, then that's so important to me. So. All of that is true. I'm loving, and I know this is a little bit off subject maybe, but I'm loving what Bono was saying in his new book about surrender. Oh, I it's on my to-do list to like get it next week and start reading it. So I really want to know what you're saying. Yeah, That, that life is about, for him, it's about surrendering to God, surrendering to Allie, his wife, and surrendering to the band. I love that outline for me. 
that yeah. as long as I'm surrendering to God, surrendering to my wife in mutual submission is the way I understand the New Testament, and surrendering to my peers, all three of those are, are part of what I'm learning. So that's the stuff I'm learning now. Just the, the longer journey of how we've gotten through crises and how we have managed that together and sometimes very imperfectly. But that, you know, every crisis that you get through kind of helps you prepare for the next one. Mm. I heard what's, what's the joy about being a grandparent. And for that, I think about each of my grandchildren. And I've just kind of captured that in three, three memories. With my middle grandchild, this Thanksgiving, we went, my family, 15 of my family went to the Cayman Islands. And we get on this house with this rocky beach. And for two different days, Sel and I, I said, hey, I'm going to go pick up trash. You want to go with me? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes. And, and so now when we talk about that trip, he doesn't say Cayman Islands. He says, hey, Paul, you know that place where we picked up trash? And so it was that experience that we had together, that little adventure of we're going to accomplish something and we're going to see things along the way. So that's the first thing, because that's the most recent. With Charlie, she's my oldest, and that there's a picture that captures that memory when we're sitting on the front porch, and it's like she's like a year and a half or two years old, and we're just talking like old friends. Anyway, that picture captures that, and I called her Puddinhead at the time. <laughs> and, and then my youngest, my memory of him comes from this past December. I told my family I wanted a Beatles birthday when I'm 64 theme. <laughs> and it was great. I got drive up to the house and on the door it says, will you still need me? We will still need you and we will still feed you. Oh, and, oh. and so, you know, that was great. And then at the end of, at the end of the day, my, my third grandchild, Carter, he sang all the words to Yellow Submarine. I just, you know, he's five years old and I just, I loved it. Oh, that sounds like an incredible memory to have and like just such a beautiful time with your. Thank you. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I heard in your answer to me about home, a little bit about your family of origin and how you also are a child of divorced parents. And so you yeah. that with you. And I wonder if that is a source of why you, of your passion for divorce recovery. Could you say more about that? Where did your passion for divorce recovery come from? How did the idea get started? And then why have you done it for so long? Yeah, how I got started is different than than the passion part. How I got started is I I came on 30, 31 years ago as minister with single adults. And that's just a, such a title that everybody's got their own expectations and understanding of what that means. Some people mm -hmm. think single adults are the 20-somethings who are not married yet. Some people think single adults are the divorced people in their 40s. And some people think, oh, yeah, I'm single because my spouse died. So there's all kinds of, it's a whole intergenerational landscape. But I wasn't there long before the uh, Sunday school director said, hey, we got a bunch of divorced people. We need a divorce recovery workshop. And so I said, let me take a year to research this. And so I looked at all the different models that were around 30 years ago. And I said, this one, I think, let's try this one. And so I, I pulled together, I said, give me the names of eight or 10 healthy divorced people. And I got gathered those people around me and we, we had four small groups and taught that first class. And then it just grew and grew and grew. It was insane. It grew, yeah. to, grew <laughs> to 12 small groups. And I can't even imagine that today, but it just grew so fast because we were heading on something where there was a real need at the time. But the question about the passion part is I have noticed that when I get up to speak and I tell my story, that I heal a little bit more every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a really selfish thing, isn't it? That <laughs> out of my own pain and my experience, and there's, all, there's always been stuff that happens like, I mean, the, the workshop started the same month as my mother's death. 
And so the grief I was feeling with death of a mother, I carried with me into a room where I had, you know, 40 people dealing with the death of a marriage. And so I could feel that they could feel my experience. And we kind of went from there. Yeah. Wow. I actually, you know, I love that you say I heal a little bit every time that I speak and share because we've been really encouraging people on our podcast to tell their story, whether it's to one person or just a few people to reach out, whether it's on in person or online, because like there's something healing about releasing our story and allowing other people to help hold it with us. And then I think too, when we, when we share our stories, when we tell our stories, we give other people permission to do the same. And so the kind of vulnerability and humility and honesty and sort of like rawness that you demonstrate when you teach and speak and preach about what you've experienced, I think like invites that same vulnerability, honesty, like rawness, like in other people. That's it. That's it. Whether I'm doing individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy, or whether I'm speaking in front of a group of 30 divorced people, it's the same experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just lifting up people's stories and kind of putting them out there in the air, it, it relieves us. I feel like so often when people have a traumatic event or grief or they're in the midst of that, they're, everything feels so bottled up inside of you. And it's such a release to share those stories. And I love that you broke people into small groups. Angela and I have hopes to do that soon as well online rather than in person, probably. But just having that small circle of people who really knows your name, they really know the names of your kids or your family, and they know your story. That can be such a great support system. That's it. The same thing I find in doing therapy, I've find in happening in the small groups, which is confidentiality and anonymity. And then within that, this becomes my people. This becomes my support group. I tell my story in front of them. They tell their story in front of me. We recognize each other. Um, That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me personally, and I guess Dr. Angela as well, we both, as I said earlier, or we both said earlier, we dealt with divorce as a child. Angela and I were both actually similar age. She was around seven or eight, and so was I, when our dad was married to each of our moms when they divorced. And and then my own divorce as a young adult. I was married and divorced at a very young age in my early 20s. I know that there are a lot of listeners out there that may have dealt with divorce at a young age and then again as an adult or dealt with it at various times in their life. What are the aims of, in your eyes, what are the aims of divorce recovery? And then a second part to that question is, is that different or does divorce recovery look different for a child versus an adult? There's so many aims of what I do with divorce recovery workshop. One of the aims is, is to give people a a group of friends who truly understand Because if you ask the people after six weeks or seven weeks, what did you get out of this? The universal answer is, I am not alone. Mm -hmm. So so that's got to be one of the goals is to provide that experience of community. That's, That's one of the actual tangible goals. What we're trying to do to kind of describe the process is what for me, it's psycho spiritual. It's educational. It's uh, it's to have a safe space to tell those stories to in order to recover from rejection, because as a universal experience, no matter how the thing ends, there's a rejection somewhere along the way. To recover from a sense of failure, because that's a universal experience, no matter mm-hmm. no matter what the circumstances. To help people experience a movement of healing. That includes the journey toward forgiveness and to let people know that, that this is a new start, that what Jesus said about making all things new is mm-hmm. actually experiential. And uh, another goal for me, because it was me, my parents 
separated two or three times when I was growing up and then they divorced when I went to college. And so that's why it becomes such a defining thing for me because I had to work through uh, owning their divorce, feeling the oldest one that somehow I was responsible for either keeping them together or giving them permission to divorce. Mm -hmm. That was in my head anyway, that I have the opportunity to help change the trajectory for the children because we have a six or seven week period where the children of divorce can come in, talk about what's real for them and find a safe place, no judgment. And for all of these folks, whether you're going through it as a, an adult or whether you're going through it as a child, that as, as Jim Smoke in the book that we have used for 30 years, Growing Through Divorce says, that you can grow through an experience like this. You don't just have to go through. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. the goal is that you grow, that you find healing and spiritual and emotional growth through this thing, which blows everybody's mind, that you can come out of this. And when, whenever I come upon judgmental people from time to time <laughs> who, don't, who don't understand this issue, and I think they're judgmental out of fear, I just have to tell my own experience that the most spiritual and whole people I know are people and the, and the best marriages I know are people who have come through this themselves and have a new relationship where they're doing it right this time. And it's all committed to God and it's, and it, and they're doing it well. For me, it's, it's that existential experience of health and hope and healing. All of that's included. Oh, wow. I mean, I just, I feel so encouraged by hearing you say what you just said. And I, I trust that listeners do too. There is just so much hope and even like healing, literally your words were very healing that you said right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very moved by them. And I was wondering, you said something there about judgment and divorce, which is, I think, probably the thing that people are most afraid of when they're children of divorce or when they're getting divorced. Oh, yeah. The judgment. And then along with judgment can come the feeling of shame, you know, and I think yeah, part yeah. of work, you know, part of resisting that or working against that is helping people to understand the grief of divorce. You mentioned a couple of things in your response, rejection and failure. I'm wondering if you could say more for for listeners about like, what is the grief? You know, you, you, you're not divorced yourself, but you're a child of divorce and you've worked with divorced pe- you know, people who are divorced, to use people first language. You've worked with people who are divorced for many years. Like, how would you describe the grief of divorce? And I know you already used a couple words, rejection and failure. But, but what, it, what is the grief there? Man, think about any grief is the loss of meaning. Mm. And, and so the illustration I use in the first week is you've been building this jigsaw puzzle of meaning for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And it seems like somebody has come along at your table where you're really focused and or not focused, and they've knocked the pieces all over the rim, and you're crawling around on the floor, picking up the pieces Mm -hmm. and trying to put it back together again in a way that makes sense. Either putting the marriage back together in a new way or putting your life back together in a new way where you don't even have a choice to put the marriage back together for whatever reason. So the journey of 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 grief is the journey of meaning making. The meaning is all kind of blown out. And so we have to start with piece one. I am a unique, this is a phrase we've used. We got this from Bill Flanagan, who literally wrote his dissertation on how to do this workshop at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. It's in the library there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his phrase, we use it the first week of the workshop, I am a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God because you feel like a piece of garbage on the trash heap of life and you feel so rejected. So it all comes down to that individual healing. Here's the trajectory I was on. It kind of blew up. 
it's not it's not what I had hoped for. It's not what I expected. Now I feel so wounded that I don't know if I can ever do this again. I need a safe place to land. I need a place where I can heal. And then I need the vision that I can possibly do this again. Mm, 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 mm. That is so helpful. And I, the, my favorite movie to do all of this with is The Lion King, the original cartoon. That's so funny. I was just going to ask you about The Lion King because it's my favorite movie, too. Yes. And it's my favorite Broadway musical. When I've, I've seen it twice on Broadway, and the first time I cried the entire uh, thing. So did I. So did I. It so is hello. so good. I just want to, I want to third this. I've also seen it on Broadway. I yeah. thought it was absolutely mesmerizing. And it is a, and people don't know what it's about. Just like most children's mu movies, it's about grief. The whole thing's about grief. Yeah. And yeah. healing from grief. I use that as a template because the impact of the loss happens. It's like the death of his father and he blames himself and he feels shameful and not really sure why he feels shameful. And then the second part is Hakuna Matata. <laughs> he finds this group of folks that are kind of goofy and different. And finally, he finds his own little space with them and they, they become a community and it's within community that healing happens. Mm -hmm. So he finds healing gradually over time. You just kind of see it as they're singing the song Hakuna Matata. And then he gets confronted by Nala, who right. says, what are you going to do? Are you just going to hang out here the rest of your life? Are yeah. you going to go back and do something? And he says, what do you, what do you know? You know, but I can't go back. I'd have to face my past. So he, he does that. And with the help of his rabbi, the, the little guy, Rafiki, he gets hit over the head with the truth and pointed toward the kingdom. And he goes, oh man, I can do this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I likened it to, well, first of all, I have to tell you, my son, Mason, who is one of the main reasons we do the podcast, who passed away about six years ago. Oh, his, my. Yeah, it was his favorite movie growing up, and I love the movie as well. I must have watched it a zillion times because he watched it over and over again. And I am I am determined to get a Lion King tattoo in my life, and <laughs> and I want it to be kind of the watercolor that is just the the picture of Simba as a kid, a child. It's kind of a, a washed out watercolor. That's it. That's it. But it's beautiful. And I've also done presentations on The Lion King because I feel like parts of it resonate so much with people. And, and even the fact that Simba, he ran away from his pain and he yeah. found these distractions, healthy yeah. or unhealthy, he was a vegetarian and, and just eating bugs. So he was healthy in one way, but he was ignoring what was happening at home. And then when Nala comes, it's like grief hits you in the face, whether you want it to or not. She, she brings it back to him. She's like, you need to face this. You need to come home. We need you. And I liken it to if you don't face your grief and you don't work through it, that it's going to come hunt you down if you don't take care of it. And, right. and then you usually do have somebody that hits you on the head and said, Hey, let's get it together and yeah. find, find purpose in your pain, so to speak. I just, I, I don't know. I love it. I, I saw the, 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 the show in Austin. And so it was the traveling show and it was still fantastic, but oh yeah, yeah. I want to see it in New York city. I want to see like the show because it's just so beautiful. I can't, I just, can't, it's indescribable, I think. I know. Yeah, I, I actually saw it in Louisville both times, but but it's just happening all around you instead of seeing it on a screen. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. We were, we've been talking a little bit here about the power of community and the importance of facing your grief and going back and wrestling with your past and not just trying to ignore it. And all of this. And I think part, and, and you mentioned this word earlier, Dr. Stowell, when you were talking about the aims of divorce recovery, part of the work, I think, of 
being really getting on the road toward healing after divorce is forgiveness. And as I understand it, you teach the five steps to forgiveness by Everett Worthington. Um, yes. And I was wondering if you could share the steps and, and how have they helped you and others? Can I say a word about community first? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Scott Peck, I got to see him when he came to Lexington back about 28 years ago. He's most known for the Road Less Traveled book. And he's he's got a book just about community. It escapes my mind right now. But it talks about the different stages of community. You move through pseudo-community, which is just being polite, to chaos, to emptiness, and then to true community. And that's kind of a therapeutic journey that I'd take with people. But, but more importantly, that's the, that's, the, that's the life cycle of a small group. And when you've got divorce recovery or grief recovery, you probably are going to skip that first step of pseudo community because everybody knows why you're there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you don't have to wear the mask. And that's an amazing thing. And yeah. then yes. the chaos becomes the thing. And, you know, it's very chaotic and you got to work through the chaos of all of this jumbled emotions until there's kind of a holiness that sets in of, oh my gosh, we're all the same. And I'm going to go into you too, Lyric. Now we get to carry each other, you know? Um, so, so in that experience of community is where healing happens. So it was interesting to me when I did my doctoral work that I discovered by looking in the Bible that, that in the same context, where in the same two chapters, Matthew 18 and 19, where Jesus talks about divorce and Jesus talks about forgiveness, Jesus talks about where two or three are gathered, I am there. That's all the same context. Mm. So to mm. me, it makes sense that the place to process forgiveness has got to be where two or three are gathered. And the context of divorce, where two or three are gathered, that we are here, as Henry Nowen said, we are wounded healers. And so we're, we're taking off the, the bandages and helping each other bandage these things. It all fits together. So that forgiveness journey, you can't take it by yourself. So now, mm -hmm. if I can move into Everett Worthington's model, because the first 10 years I, I taught this, I didn't have Everett Worthington's model. And I just said, okay, you need to forgive. And everybody said, yeah, I get it. I have to do this. But then people would come to me and they say, yeah, but how? And Worthington, in the scientific research he's done, comes up with a model. And he calls it reach for forgiveness, this acrostic, R-E-A-C-H. So the first step is recall the hurt. So the fifth week of the workshop is totally about this model of the five steps to forgiveness. And so we walk through all five pieces in a two-hour session. So recall the hurt. And the illustration we use for that is we show the two-minute clip from Forrest Gump. Uh, Jenny and Forrest walking through the woods and getting to the field and seeing the house where she was sexually abused as a child. and She's hit with it and she stops and she picks up the rocks and she throws them and breaks glass. And then she falls into a clump and he just sits with her. And then he says, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Yeah. yeah. So then I stand up and I say, there's never enough rocks. And we have to get to that moment where we face the hurt. Because until you name it and feel it, you can't heal it. Mm. People can't, you, you're not even on the road to forgiveness at all if you're not able to face the pain. Mm. So there's another little tool I've used occasionally with people called Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet by the, <laughs> the mystical little lady named Byron Katie. And she, she, walks you through this little worksheet where you get it all out on paper and you don't edit yourself. You get it all out. You face the pain 
And then you have to have somebody to work with you to work through that. Uh, anyway, so that's the R, recall the hurt. It's the first point. You can't do anything else till you do that. And then E is emotional forgiveness in the two emotions of empathy and compassion. Because you try, as you said earlier, that you try to find healing in all these other things that are just distractions, but they don't work. And so you try to find a resolution to this heavy burden of pain that you feel that we call unforgiveness through revenge and through denial and through distraction and all of these different things. And they, they may reduce through, through, through substance abuse and they may reduce the symptoms, but they don't, they don't heal. They don't make it go away. And so the only thing that makes it go away is empathy and compassion. And that's just an amazing thing. And what I believe about that is if you can, and I did this when my father died, I asked his brother, tell me about his father. Tell me about his grandfather. And I heard some things that helped me to have, tell me about the worst experience in my dad's life where he was most disappointed in himself where he felt shame. And when I heard those stories, I had empathy and compassion for my dad. And so that is what melts my heart and helps me to forgive emotionally is, is empathy, to be able to feel a little bit of what my dad felt as a child, as a teenager, uh, and have empathy, have compassion for him. I think that is the key ingredient. And you kind of have to do that over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So there's emotional forgiveness. And then there's Everett Worthington calls it decisional forgiveness. And these are two different pieces, but you got to do both. And emotional forgiveness is what you feel. And sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't. But decisional forgiveness is coming to that place where you realize this is only hurting me. And the other person is just taking a rent-free space in my head. And I'm the one that's, that's a prisoner behind these iron doors of my heart. Mm-hmm. And if I make the decision to forgive, the decision to act in a forgiving manner, then guess what? I'm the one that's set free. Yeah. When you have that insight and you make that decision, that's the last three letters. The A stands for the altruistic gift of forgiveness. I'm doing this for you, but ultimately I'm actually doing this for me. I'm having altruism toward myself as much as I'm having it towards you. And you've got to the same process when you're forgiving yourself as you do when you're forgiving someone else. So I'm deciding to act in a forgiving manner toward myself. I'm deciding to act in a forgiving manner toward the other person. I'm going to stop saying terrible things about myself. I'm going to stop saying terrible things about the other person. I'm going to stop going down that road of anger and choosing uh, to act in a more forgiving manner. So that's kind of the A. The C is commit publicly. And I always think of Billy Graham, you know, telling people, you commit publicly and people, <laughs> people will wait on you as you come and let's all seem just as I am. So all of that, you know, is kind of the same thing in a sense of you need to tell somebody else. You need to face-to-face vocalize or demonstrate that you've made the decision to forgive. That this is a community thing. This is not just an individual, personal, inside job. But I'm acting in a forgiving manner towards this person. And I'm going to tell somebody about that. And then the H is hold on to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting right now at the table in my basement where I do therapy the majority of the time. And behind me, I could reach around and grab it and hold it in my hand, is a rock that I picked up off of my dad's property when he died. Wow. And so it represents 
what I'm going to hold on to to remind me of what I'm letting go of. Mm -mm. That's such wise advice because I think whether it's divorce and, and first of all, I guess I should say, I can just hear the emotion in, in your voice, you know, reminiscing about your dad and, and holding that rock. It's such a powerful physical tool to help you feel some emotion, yeah. but just having that wise advice for, for people and hearing you say a minute ago that just that forgiveness of yourself, because I think yeah. that in grief, whether it's divorce or the loss of someone, we do have this regret or embarrassment or should have, would have, or all know, of the above, all of that. Just think and, and to forgive yourself that you did the best you could in the moment that you were given and to hold that feed those feelings of regret and hurt, just not only recap it on our, on our mental state, but physically it just does so much damage for us. Absolutely. The hold on also calls to mind the idea that I get from John Trent in his book, Life Mapping, that you need a memorial marker because Jacob wrestled with God all night long, said, I don't know if I can face my brother and got his hip out of joint. But he woke up the next morning and he said, God was here. Mm. And he built an altar. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's just, I, yeah. For any listener who's, if you're like, if Christianity is not, or Jewish, like the Jewish tradition is not familiar to you, that's what it, he's referring, right, to the Hebrew scriptures. Yes. Uh, to the Old Testament, to a story there that's really powerful about Jacob wrestling with God throughout the yes. night. And so no matter what your faith tradition is, or whether you're wondering about that right now, that could be a really helpful story for you, depending on, on what's going on in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's all kinds of examples that you got the Christian scriptures of Jesus telling us to do this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've got the Hebrew scriptures all over the place. They're building altars to That's represent right. God got us through this. Whether that was Jacob or that was Moses and the Red Sea, or that's Joshua and the Jordan River, or that's Noah and the Red Sea. No matter what the situation is, God got us through this. God got me through this. I need a little reminder of that. Because oh. I, I could just slip into unforgiveness. <laughs> yeah. and I need a I need a touchstone that I can touch physically to remind me, no, wait a minute. I made a decision. And that decision was because God got me through this. And also I'm better off when I act in a forgiving manner. So Oh my goodness. Dr. Silver, I I'm really inspired to create, you know, a memorial or to have like some memorials in my home. To some of the things that God has gotten me through and to there some and to the forgiveness that I have embraced and given in my life, received and given. And that I just love this idea. And the fact that you have that rock, and that was just a very powerful image for me. I oh wow. I would love before we um ask our last question for you to just talk as someone who has led so many people through the grief journey of divorce toward healing. If someone is listening and going through a divorce like right now or has like recently gotten divorced like in the last year, what would you like them to know? Oh. If you're going through it right now, it might it might mean you're you don't even know if this is where it's going or not and you're hanging by a thread and yeah. you're just trying to hold on. If it's been something that's recently happened to you and you're devastated and kind of living among the ashes of it and not knowing what to do next, feeling like Job after his disaster where everything went away, what to know? You know, the I want you to, I want you to, to be able to find somebody that you can tell that story to, to recognize in their face and in their voice that you are not alone, that, that you have value, that this aspect of your life 
is over. This chapter of your life is kind of over. But your life is not over. And mm. one of the verses, probably the number one verse that we take from the Hebrew prophets is Jeremiah 29, 11. And I think about Jeremiah himself. He, he preached for 40 years, had no converts. He gave his sermons to the, <laughs> to the king and the king ripped him up with a, with yep. a pit knife and threw him in the fire. And Jeremiah wished he had never been born. He was suicidal. And he's called the weeping prophet because what have I got to show for this? Why did God call me to this? I am so depressed and distressed. And God says, okay, plant a tree, build a house. And and several years from now, I know the plans I have for you. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to hear that. To give you a future and a hope. When you feel hopeless, when you feel like you have no future, uh, just notice your breath. When you exhale, you're going to inhale and you have another breath. You have a future. And every day that the sun comes up, you have a future. And one day at a time, one hour, one moment at a time, you have a future. And... As you live into that, it becomes uh, it becomes a, a whole new world. As you as you surround yourself with friends and support, and you seek that out, and you have new community, people who understand, you will. You have to believe this, even when it feels like it's not true. And this is true no matter what grief you're facing. You have to believe that someday a better day will come. And you will have grown and healed in ways you cannot imagine. And, uh, and if it's possible, you'll even be thankful, even though you hated the thing that happened, but you're thankful that you have been wounded and have healed because you have something that those who have not experienced this don't have. Yeah. True. That's true. That's just... Again, such great advice and so heartfelt. And I I feel the emotions coming through, even in just your voice, how passionate you are. I I feel like the people who interact with you and all that you do must be so grateful for you. And we're so grateful we for are. you. We are. <laughs> years later, I still am. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And we're grateful for you today too, Dr. Stillwell. Your your words are so loving and helpful and uplifting. We love to end our podcast with something very uplifting as well. And that is by asking this question, the question that we always ask our guests, how has joy found you recently? Of course, joy always finds me when I hear words like you just said. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm, I'm very touched by that deeply. And, and thank you. But, uh, I find little moments of splashes of joy almost every day because music is my thing. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I could name a lot of different musicians, but my current one that I'm listening to is Billy Strings because it's just, it's just a kind of bluegrass played as if it's the Grateful Dead. Just, it goes on and on and on. It's just jamming. It's just moving chords and. It's, it's both in terrible times and in good times because he overcame a, a family that was completely on drugs and alcohol. And then he himself was completely on drugs and alcohol as a teenager. And he said music saved his life. And so as I'm in the kitchen listening to this stuff, there's this thing called baltering. Baltering is to dance enthusiastically without any particular style or training. No. And, <laughs> I love know, that. I love that. Um, that's that to me is, you know, David danced with joy before the Lord. And so just to be able to move my body to the music always lifts my spirits. Oh, yes. We were actually talking yesterday about creating a playlist for the Grief Sisters podcast made up of songs that have carried our guests and ourselves through grief. And so we might be, you know, we might need to be doing this stuff, right? I mean, I think this would be a good thing to do. Yeah, I think we've had that, enough nudges that that yeah. can happen. We need to make this happen. 
That well, is absolutely something you should do. I commission you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. As someone who benefited from your work many years ago and has been deeply comforted by your words today, from the bottom of my heart, I know Coach Staff has already given her gratitude, but I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for the comfort that you brought to my heart today, to so many people listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for so many years for loving people to healing. <laughs> I just love it. I love what you've done. I love your commitment to your work and to be committed to healing. I don't know that there's any better work to do in the world. So really appreciate you. As always, we end our podcast with a blessing over our guest and all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace, but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters Book Club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always always find you. If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created RISE. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes.